0: This is episode number 12 with Colin Thompson, Social Media for Musicians. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Thanks for tuning in to episode 12. Today I've got Colin Thompson of modernmusician.co and I've got a big BS radar, especially when it comes to all these how-to social media posts. So I wanted to tread into this territory carefully and after reviewing our interview carefully, I feel really good about this. I think you're going to get some things you can take away from this. We're going to dive right in, but first I want to acknowledge our sponsors. Electric Violin Shop, they do everything, amplified strings. They do it the best. You can call them. They've got great phone support. I get all my gear from Electric Violin Shop. And when I say all my gear, mostly I'm referring to my Yamaha electric violin. I've worked with Yamaha for almost 20 years, and they're an amazing company. They spare no effort they spare no time or resource when it comes to constantly improving quality and they back it up with their word with a great warranty it's quite simply the best electric violin out there as far as i'm concerned the yamaha sv250 and they make great electric cellos and violas and basses and all kinds of other stuff so i want to thank our sponsors yamaha and electric violin shop with that let's do this So I'm here today with Colin Thompson from modernmusician.co. Colin, thanks for being with me today on the Creative Strings Podcast.
1: It is a pleasure to be here, Christian.
0: We're going to dig into... Entrepreneurial music business DIY stuff, and you know my BS Raider is big on this topic. I'm sure you know, bro. Like everybody is trying is doing this thing out there. Every every blog you look at, every post is talking about. Yeah, and what do you think about that? I mean, all the tips and the blogs. Do you find that there's good content? Are people being helpful, or is there a bunch of crap to go through?
1: (laughs) Are we talking about entrepreneurship for musicians or entrepreneurship in general? I guess both, but
0: I'm specifically interested for musicians, and I think creative people in the arts you know, that tends to be my audience, you know, people that want to work for themselves and develop their own businesses, uh, doing something creative. I mean, so let's say for the arts, entrepreneurship for musicians, what do you think?
1: Yeah. If you go on Facebook
0: and you see a blog, you know, I mean, there's a lot of sites out there. Is it watered down? Is there conflicting messages? Is it all the same stuff just said in different ways or? No, there's a lot
1: of BS for sure. And the thing about it is that a lot of times I think that when we start to dig into entrepreneurship for something more specific than, just entrepreneurship, Uh, I think a lot of people think that they don't need to dig too deep because they're not saying, hey, I'm the Facebook guy. Instead, I'm the Facebook for musicians guy, which means I can tell you, hey, have a clear headshot. And you're golden on Facebook when a lot of times that's not getting you anywhere. You know, like, yeah, sure, you should. But a lot of times I feel like we don't get nearly deep enough with some specific growth hacks and growth strategies that would really be helping musicians out a lot.
0: And then the other thing, we're going to dive right into this stuff. Another thing, just as a preview, is like a warning sign. Like, hold up your shield, bro. Because, you know, because I'm skeptical about people that think that like technology is just going to do all the work for you, like that if you have 100 social media hacks that that's all you need and that all of a sudden is going to make you a rock star. You know what I mean? I mean, what do you think about that?
1: Well, no doubt. I mean... All of these platforms, they're just amplifications of what was always the case. And the best social media platforms, the ones that survive and the ones that get big and the ones that you and I know about are the ones that are the best at recreating real-life interactions with people, which means we're coming back to the basics. We're coming back to the basics of networking that anybody already knows about, and all we're doing is applying those same concepts To whatever the latest social media platform is, and like anything that you're going to do, it takes hard work and it takes consistency. The platform does nothing. If somebody tells you you should be on YouTube, why? You know, there's no reason for you to be on YouTube unless you're willing to put in the effort to grow an audience on YouTube, and then there is a good reason for it. And the
0: rationale behind all this for you or for me or for let's just be really clear about like what are we trying to do? Like you, you use the idea of building an audience. Creating an audience. So, what is it that we're trying to do as musicians? It's not only to make money, but it's to make like a large impact, you know, and and doing what we're passionate about. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Everybody has different reasons for what they do, and I think like we were talking about earlier this afternoon. Actually, your reasons for what you do can change uh, as you go, and I've been able to see that some in my own limited experience. And I mean, I think that. It's important to keep in touch with that. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of what you want to do or the reasons for what you want to do, growing your audience on different platforms is one of the best ways to do almost anything that you're going to want to do you know, with your life going forward.
0: Awesome. So I'm the no BS guy. So at modernmusician.co, people yeah. can go there and they can opt in and get something that you're giving away for free, which is called 100 Things Musicians Should Be Doing on Social Media to go other audiences. So can you give me a few?
1: Yeah, man. Uh, Let's see. We got 100 ways to have an amazing social media presence as a musician. And to create a following on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube, I got it pulled up right here. So I put this together because I see a lot of musicians making a lot of mistakes. And this is kind of a simple, just kind of go through these to get you headed the right direction. I'm working on a lot more in-depth social media training for musicians. Um, On the website, it's going to be video courses and stuff like this, but this will definitely get you set up and heading the right direction. So I don't know. What do you say? What's your social media platform of choice? You like Instagram? I love Instagram.
0: I I need to do more on Instagram. Uh, you you know, I'm on Facebook. I mean, do you do Instagram and Facebook together or just Instagram and then share it all on Facebook automatically?
1: Oh, um, you know, I usually do share on Facebook with what I post on Instagram. Instagram is cool because they've done a really good job of avoiding all of the third-party API interactions that uh, the, something like Twitter does, which forget exactly what API stands for, but it's basically a third-party software that hooks in to the platform and it allows you on Twitter to just schedule your tweets and schedule, you know, automate stuff like that. Well, Instagram doesn't really allow you to do that, but I think that that's part of the reason why it's super powerful because it cuts down on the noise level that's going on and it makes it so that almost most of the interactions going on on Instagram, at least like 99% of them, are real people interacting with you at that moment, which is super powerful in a world where, everybody's kind of trying to cheat the system, especially on something like Twitter. Everybody's trying to cheat the system and follow a gajillion people to get a gajillion followers. When you end up with a platform that has a much higher percentage of real and true interaction, I think that that's super valuable. So honestly, I think Instagram is one of the most underutilized uh, social media platforms for musicians. And it's funny, the CEO of, of Instagram just came out and said that 25 uh, percent of the most followed accounts on Instagram are actually uh, music related which is kind of interesting to me especially because I think we think about it as a platform for photographers but I, that has to do with the fact that, that we're talking about celebrities like Taylor Swift and stuff so what are the ways that that a musician should use Instagram a musician should be posting I would say between one to two times a day is probably about good one of the things you don't want to do is post too frequently or post or feel like you're you're posting a batch of photos like you would on on Facebook or something like that, just one or two, for sure apply the filters. Although what's cool that they just changed is that you can make your sizes different. They don't all have to be square like they did just a little bit ago. But I think Instagram a great way because you know, Vine, right? Vine has those, those eight second videos. Well, Instagram is twice that. And I think it's a great way to tease your music because 15 seconds is frustrating, but it's also just barely enough to make people interested to want to check out what you have. And the thing about Instagram is because it's so limited in this, you have to look at it as a funnel to other places, a funnel either to your YouTube channel. It's a powerful place to connect with people, and send them other places, whether that's an opt-in form on your website or whether that's the full track on YouTube or on iTunes or whatever it is. One of the big things musicians should be doing is taking advantage of the one clickable link that you are allowed in Instagram. There's one place on all of Instagram where you're allowed to put a clickable link, and that's right underneath your description. And so you put in your description and then you're able to put a clickable link. Well, what I tell musicians to do is switch that out depending on what you most recently posted about. Not that every post is going to be sending you back to something specific because the whole idea is that it's, it's sort of like a window into your life. But say I post what I think is my favorite 15 seconds from a video of music that I want people to, to look at on YouTube then what I'm going to say is in the description for that post, I'm going to say, hey, check out the full track. Link is in the bio. Right after that, I'm going to put at Colin P. Thompson because that's my handle. And that's going to be clickable. I don't. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but that's clickable. Then, when they click that, they go to your bio and they click the link, and the link takes them out to YouTube. So that's a way to make it all clickable. That's the only way to make it all clickable on Instagram.
0: Wow, that's great. Oh, I love that, man. So, but you're saying you can only have one link that's applying to your entire channel for like that time, though. So for that's those right. three. Three days. The only link anybody can ever find is that one to your YouTube channel. But you're saying yep. just change it up to go with your latest post. Yeah, it's the most latest important. post. That's great. or Latest promotion or whatever it is. That is very cool, man. Wow. Okay. Good. So Instagram. So putting more videos up on Instagram and then making sure you're sending people from Instagram to things that you're doing. How much time do you spend like just looking at everybody else's posts on Instagram and like giving them love or whatever? I mean, does that take a lot of time or do you <laughs> do you do you just put your stuff out for people
1: to look at you and and it varies a bit there's some advanced tools to kind of help you with that time management and stuff as far as like most things you can batch them even though you can't actually schedule posts on instagram you can batch your processes one of the things that i do like to do is well you know it's interesting There was a time when I used Instagram more as a social media platform, the way it was designed to be used. And nowadays, I'm a little bit more into growing it. And so that means that I spend less time just liking my friends' photos because I'm looking at it as a way to grow my audience more than as just a way to like my friends' photos. But I still like to do that. And I like to make sure that if somebody's interacting with me a lot, I go in occasionally. And if I see somebody continually pop up, go in and like some of their photos and stuff like that. But what I like to do, what's a great hack for interaction is to choose one of the most relevant hashtags from the last post that you did and flip back through those and like 20, 30 of those. And all of a sudden, people are going to say, hey, who's this random guy I've never seen before who liked my photo? They click on it and, the, and they used your hashtag just recently and they're like, what? We're interested in the same thing. So that's kind of a cool way to get some people noticing your music that wouldn't have otherwise known about it. Neat. And so, so when you batch stuff
0: i mean obviously that's kind of preparing multiple posts at one time like so like okay i'm gonna sit down for 15 minutes today, and i'm gonna plan out all the posts i'm gonna do next week in theory that saves time right you kind of get in the mindset you can knock them out quicker so how do you do that i mean wh- where do you you know would you put in a spreadsheet
1: or what well it all depends i like to do a variety of things i mean when it comes to this stuff and it's funny, I'm actually just just thinking about starting the next couple of days an Instagram profile for music quotes where I'm going to be doing this hardcore and I'm going to be doing like cool pictures of musicians and then putting quotes over top of them and then using a bunch of relevant hashtags, kind of try to, try to grow an audience there. We'll see where it goes. But something like that, like today, I just threw together like 14 of those um, and that like takes care of basically a week of posting all I need to do. Is throw it out there at the right time. You can't actually automate putting those up. You know, you actually have to be the person doing it on your mobile device on Instagram at this point because they're really, really picky about that. But they're all there waiting for me, and so then all I have to do is remember to do it at the right time, and I'm all set.
0: So, how do you store them? So you have a bunch of images that are ready to go, and then do you also have a bunch of like uh, copy? that goes with each of the images?
1: Yeah, well, it depends on what you're doing. With music quotes, I'm going to have a set number of hashtags that are pretty applicable to most music quotes. But then I'm going to throw in, each time I post, I'll throw in at least a couple more that are specific to the person. I'll put the quoting with it too. But this is something where I'll usually end up posting when I'm at my computer anyways. I'll type it out on my computer real quick, shoot myself an email, and copy-paste that in. And it makes it super quick because then I can do it all on my computer even though you're not actually allowed to post from your computer. You can shoot yourself an email with all the copy. I haven't started batching the copy at this point, if that's what you're asking about. And I might do that in the future. I haven't really dug into that at this point.
0: No, it makes sense. But the image, you've got quote on the image, you take some time with that. And that's where most of the labor intensive stuff is anyway. And so you've got that ready. And then you just compose the post. I guess the idea of having an image with like copy on top of it and designed well, that gets a lot more traction, right? That's kind of common. Knowledge, I guess, well,
1: but and it's something that people can relate to. Here's the thing that I've realized, and if we jump over to Twitter a little bit, Twitter, I try to do uh, a mix between posting links to interesting articles or newsworthy things or whatever, posting content online posting two content that I find online, posting my own thoughts, posting pictures occasionally, but those are mostly Instagram pictures, and then posting quotes. And I've been able to kind of dig into the analytics some here. Quotes get by far the best interaction and the most retweets and the most favorites and everything. People love them. And I've been able to see that on Twitter. So what I'm doing right now is I'm using Twitter and my analytics from Twitter to say, what are the quotes that people like the most? And then I'm going to be throwing those up on Instagram because the whole idea is to use Twitter as almost like a vetting tool to find out what's really connecting with people at this point and what do people really like and what is now for people and what they're thinking about. And so that's where I think that Twitter can come in really handy for you because you can see some of those metrics and you can say, oh, this is actually something that I think has a really good chance of performing well on a different social media platform, throw it up on Facebook or Instagram or something else. Because the thing about Twitter is the noise level is so high. It doesn't matter if you're posting. Sometimes I post 20, 30 times a day, and it's not too much on Twitter. It would be way too much on any other platform, but on Twitter, you can get away with it. So I kind of use that as my vetting platform for what's going to cause interaction and what people are going to enjoy.
0: I mean, 20, 30 posts on Twitter every day. It would take a lot of your time. It take a lot of your time.
1: Uh, it's not too bad. I use Buffer. Okay. And I have a plugin for Chrome, and I'm on a bunch of mailing lists, like for instance the ASCAP Daily Brief. I'll get that yep. email with like 12 links to interesting articles of that day. And I'll I'll right click on all the ones that look like interesting things to me. I scan through it and I say, this is interesting. This is good content. I already took a couple of things away. I like from here. I click the thing in my Chrome toolbar and it automatically pre-populates the link as well as the name of the article. And then I'll just throw my own little thing in there and say, hey, this is cool for, you know, uh, audio engineers, you know, who want to network on LinkedIn or, you know, whatever it is. I'll throw in my little thing and then I'll throw it in the buffer. And then that sends it out at these pre up times. So at any given time, I have between 75 to 100 tweets just lined up like that. And each tweet doesn't take me more than 30 seconds to a minute and a half. Depending on if I really dig in and start reading longer articles, of course, those take a lot more time. But the tweets in general don't take that much time.
0: And the Chrome toolbar thing, that's not specific to Buffer. What's, what's that Chrome thing? Oh, here? it
1: actually is. Yeah, it's Buffer's extension for Chrome.
0: Got it. And and Buffer is one of those APIs you mentioned before. Buffer is something that it's a third-party integration with social media that allows you to schedule and sort and monitor and that sort of thing, right? I mean, what do you think about Buffer compared to Hootsuite or, or Edgar, for example? Do you have any opinions about that?
1: You know, it's funny. I started researching this stuff maybe a year or two ago. And back then, I think Hootsuite was the big one and Buffer was more the up-and-comer. And for whatever reason, I decided to go with Buffer. And I, can't, I couldn't even tell you what well, the reasons were at this point and they're probably outdated anyways cuz i haven't i haven't researched the new the new things that make them all cool yet but i think they all pretty much do the same thing
0: interesting but you rely on buffer would you say it makes a difference for you to have that extra tool
1: oh it makes all the difference i would never i would i would be nowhere near where i am right now on twitter especially if it weren't for buffer because i don't have the stamina <laughs> to be tweeting yeah. like that constantly throughout the day and a tweet has a lifespan of like 10 minutes or like 30 minutes or something really really short that's why it's okay to be tweeting all the time because their lifespan is so short and people don't mind the fact that you're being that noisy because that's the nature of the platform but i I would never have the stamina to do that without a tool like buffer
0: cool cool that's great so you're big on instagram and you've got a, a strategy for twitter using buffer and using the facets that buffer gives you in YouTube then I'm presuming you use both of those. Do you have any specific things that people are doing wrong or that they should be doing right?
1: Yeah, I think that well, first of all, the biggest difference maker I think on Facebook and the Modern Musician show Facebook page is that like not that not that many likes at this point. And it's interesting because there are, there's less on Facebook in terms of growth hacks compared with these other ones because Facebook a lot of it has to do with pulling over people that already know about you. It's an interesting mindset difference between something like Instagram and Twitter versus something like Facebook. Facebook's all about the community you already have. And then Twitter and Instagram are all kind of about building a new community around that platform. At least that's how I see it. And if you can get a post to go viral on Facebook, obviously you're going to get tons of traction from that. And you know, there's there's a variety of ways to approach it. But the biggest thing for me on Facebook has been Like I said, using Twitter to validate that something has traction and something has virality built into it. Because if something gets five times more retweets or favorites on Twitter, then I can post that same thing on Facebook with a certain amount of confidence that it's going to do well with the people that see it. And this is super valuable on f- something like Facebook because I don't know if you're familiar with the algorithm changes that happened the beginning sometime in the beginning of this year on Facebook. But in general, if you have a Facebook page, Facebook gets to choose how many of the people who liked your page are actually going to see it. And they choose based on an algorithm that says how likely are they to enjoy the content that you're putting out. They've got this whole algorithm set up. It's not something like Twitter or Instagram where it's a straight feed where it's like you see everything that everybody you follow posted. Right. It's not like that at all. You see what Facebook wants you to see. And then if you are putting something out on Facebook, you got to pay to play, really. You got to throw some money at Facebook. And a lot of people were really, really frustrated with Facebook beginning of this year when they started implementing that. But one of the great strategies, one of the strategies that's been really, really valuable for a lot of people has been picking the posts from Twitter that have shown that they have a certain amount of. Stickability and, and traction because they're getting favorites and retweets, and then throw those on Facebook and give them a little extra juice, you know, a little a little five ten bucks boost, and all of a the sudden there's a much better chance there for you to be getting in front of more people because of shares and because of likes and get some more likes on your page and stuff. Now, I'm not a big advocate of spending too much money when you're not when you're not able to calculate return on investment by sales album sales or something like that. But there definitely is something to be said for garnering attention on Facebook and there is value there. So it's one of those things where you just have to test it and you have to say, is it worth it to me to actually be spending money to boost this post Or am I better served just waiting until I I actually want to put up a Facebook ad for my album or something like that?
0: That's interesting. And when you say boost, I know
1: that, you know, Facebook gives
0: you that button that's boost. And from the reading I've done, I've read that that's actually a ripoff, that the best way to promote your Facebook fan page is by going into the ads manager or even actually going into Power Editor, which takes a little more of a learning curve to become like a, a Facebook advertising ninja. Do you agree with that?
1: Totally. I definitely do. Because... I mean, I say boost because that's the most right. uh, simple way to do it, right. but in reality, when you can go into the Power Editor and – I mean, I spend all of my time in the Power Editor. But when you do that and you start to get more specific with your audience, the more specific you're able to get with who you're boosting to, the better off you're going to be. And Facebook has this thing called tracking pixels you can put on your website. And one of the most powerful things you can do is you can boost slash boosting is basically making a post an ad that you're paying for. You right. can you can put out an ad like that and then you can you can promote it only to, for instance, people who have hit, hit your website and it's probably a little too techy to get into right now. Yep. But if you do that and you say, all right, everybody who hit my website in the past 180 days... I want this post to be promoted to, those people are a thousand times, I don't know what the number is, but way more likely to click on it. And that's one of the best Facebook hacks out there. It's just like, if you don't have that tracking pixel on your website, put it on right now, you know? (laughs) Search for a little tutorial on YouTube on how to put that conversion tracking pixel on your website right now, because it's going to make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, it's also known as, Retargeting or remarketing, right? So it's, yeah, and, and I've been trying to get into Facebook ads and YouTube ads as well, and they both take advantage of this remarketing or retargeting facet, and it's been, I see that there's a lot of power there, and especially, as you said, if you've got actually something to sell people which I would love to go down that road a little bit because I feel like a lot of musicians, the only thing they're trying to sell is like maybe their album or their you know downloads on, on iTunes, which for me, frankly, I don't have much success with. I'm sure some people do, but what are the other kinds of things that you would recommend that people could offer as paid products or just to create revenue from this besides trying to sell their latest EP or their latest album. Because I feel like that's a dead horse. Like you said, like you can just get music for free. So just putting all of our eggs in the basket of trying to sell albums, especially online and not from stage, I feel like is is frustrating for a lot of people. Do, do you agree?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm a complete convert to this whole streaming situation that we have because I, I use Spotify 24-7. So I think I understand pretty well the mindset of somebody who does. And it's kind of like... Well, I couldn't even keep track of your album if I did buy it. Like, I wouldn't know where it was on my computer. I would, you know, like all the music I listen to is sitting right there in Spotify for me. So you're right. Like, whether we like it or not, Spotify and other streaming services have devalued, you know, the actual owning of music to the point where it's actually more of a pain to own music than to not own music. If it's on Spotify to begin with, but there's a myriad of options. And the thing about it is, I think that even given the fact that all of the industry gurus talk about how the music industry is in the toilet, even given that fact, I would rather be a musician right now than any time in history, because we're at a place where there's just so much in terms of the opportunities that are available to you as long as you are actually one of the people that is creative about what it is that you're doing with your music. And I think that it's interesting. I had on my podcast, I had Stephen Witt on a little while ago, and he wrote this fascinating book called How Music Got Free. And it's been you know reviewed in New York Times and stuff. It's been all over the place lately. But it was fascinating to me because he didn't actually take the mindset of everything is in the toilet right now. What he was saying was that, The music industry did it to themselves because they were so unwilling to accept what was happening with Napster, and they were so unwilling to accept that there might be a revenue model that they could explore that was not CD sales, that was so great for all the executives who were taking the biggest percentage of the cut to begin with. You know, you got to remember that at this time, it's not like the artists were super happy because the small artists weren't making any money back then either, and they're still not making any money. And so basically right now, what I'm trying to get at is that we have opportunities like we've never had them. And when it comes to, like I said, growing your audience on different platforms, and then once you have that audience, monetizing it in different ways. And I had this fascinating conversation with an author called Shannon Curtis. She wrote a book called No Booker, No Bouncer, No Bartender, that's what it was. And the book was a really interesting read, but she talked about how she did the club and bar scene for a long time where you go to a club or a bar that you're going to be playing at. You come and you say, hey, you know, can I please play? And they're like, well, how many people can you bring? And you're like, all right, I got this many fans in that area. Like I can probably get 15 people to come. And then they're like, okay, we'll pay you 75 bucks for the night. And so she kind of did this thing that I think a lot of people, a lot of musicians are pretty familiar with for a while and slowly built up a little bit of an email list. But her whole thing now is all about house concerts Mm -hmm. and not really the set house concert like route that is out there that some people just like continually on a regular basis they use their house for house concerts but rather people who are on her mailing list each year she'll email them all and she'll say hey i want to do i'm planning on doing another house concert tour would you be interested in hosting and a certain number of them get back with her and most like 99% of them have never hosted a house concert before, but they're like, Hey, I love your music. This would be a lot of fun. This would be a cool night. I bet I could get, you know, maybe 20 of my friends to come out and she does them for free. They're all donation based, but it's an entirely different model and different setup. And she said she usually has between 20 to 30 people a night show up So it's not like it's a huge crowd, but the important part is that it's not her crowd. It's her fans' friends' crowd. Mm. And her fans' friends are putting on an event for their friends. So they're going to make it great. They're going to provide beverages and food, and they're going to make it a cool situation because they want to look good for their friends that they're bringing over. Mm. And she has this opportunity to connect in a hugely different way with 20 to 30 people who have never heard her music before. And she said on donations alone, she makes about 600 bucks a night doing that. And because it's the perfect platform for her to really connect with new people and, you know, get more people on her mailing list, sell CDs and stuff like that. But the performance is donation based. And I think that that's one of the coolest models right now and one of the coolest ways to take advantage of the audience that you're able to build up on these platforms Mm -hmm. where you're able to really, really connect with people in this setting that is so different from the norm i mean i think most of the people that come to our concerts are like i've never been to anything like this before and they're so not used to it that it turns into like a really cool event where they're able to really really connect with her music and it's a perfect situation for her to get her message across
0: wow yeah i love that idea and i can only imagine that develops into more opportunities too because the people that come are really excited it's something different and then they're like well we got to bring you back I know somebody here and I know somebody there and we're going to do something else next time. And, you know, I I can only imagine that. That's a new one. I haven't heard that and I, I love that. So just a way of getting bookings... Speaking of touring, I think when you're out on the road, for an emerging artist or an up-and-coming artist especially, it's important to be able to look at different ways to create revenue when you're on the road. If you're traveling for a week or two weeks in a region or around the country, there's a chance you have one anchor date here and then you know this other place where you could do something here, but then there's all these places that are just question marks. And so you have to be able to create other revenue to sustain yourself on the road. And one way I do that is by doing a lot of education work, work in the schools, because there's schools everywhere, and somebody is willing to value those educational opportunities. I bet that you or-
1: could combine those two things really, really well, like what you're doing as far as educational stuff, setting up clinics and workshops and schools and stuff like that. You could just throw that in there. And especially if you have your tour set up and you're making cold calls to people and you're like, Hey, I'm going to be in, you know, Austin, Texas, these dates and I talk about this, I mean, I think that that would be, that'd be perfect. I feel like if I wanted to go on the road right now and do a tour with my music, I'd probably try to take that two pronged approach right there.
0: You're saying you would try to sell some clinics and also try to sell uh, house concerts or performances in the evening. Yeah. Cause you can do clinics in the daytime and then you can do the same day, you know, in the evening you can do a performance and if you don't make as much money on one, well, you still got two things you're doing that day and it kind of, you know, you can hopefully cobble it together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. What, what are other ways that musicians can create revenue besides selling CDs? Because not everybody can be a guru, right? You're not right. everybody can make money teaching people how to make money. I mean, there's a little it's, bit of like, at a certain point that breaks down, right? It becomes like a pyramid scheme. A lot uh, of times
1: I wonder about that too.
0: I mean, I, and obviously you and I are both somewhat in that space of, of teaching, you know, we're teaching people to be entrepreneurs, but what are other ways that people can generate money just being an artist?
1: That is a lot of what we try to get into with my podcast, because a lot of it's really focused on that marketing side of it and the business side of it. I mean, I think that the whole house concerts thing was one of the most sort of mind blowing things for me as far as a guest that's come on where I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is exactly what I would be doing right now if I was in that space. But another thing that I wasn't aware of that one of my guests talked about, and I'm actually, this is kind of funny, I'm flipping back through old podcast episodes right now to try to find what the actual thing was called. But he's a YouTube star. His name is Landon Austin. And he makes money through, he has about, mm, I'm going to say, 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. And his videos oftentimes, well, here it is, will oftentimes get over a million views. So he's got a good, solid, solid following. But one of the cool things that he does is Patreon. Are you familiar with that website? No. All right, because I wasn't either. And it turns out that it's a big thing for people who have actually been able to develop a decent-sized audience. And it's basically the whole idea of a a patron of the arts, right, is somebody who would support the arts. And you can actually set up a, a profile where people can tip you a small amount of money and... You know, usually it is a small amount of money, and this is one of those things that it ne- wouldn't necessarily be the best tool if you only have 20 fans. You're probably not going to be making much of any money. But once you're able to start slowly developing this following online, it's a really cool way to be able to get some steady revenue. Like right here, his page says Landon Austin is creating both original and cover songs on YouTube. And then there's this option to become a patron of Landon Austin and give him $1 per music video. So if you're like, hey, you know what? I really like this guy and I want to support him, but I also don't really want to give him that much money. (laughs) You can actually get in at a very, very ground level. You can obviously change that to 10, 20, 30 bucks, whatever you want. But it's a great way to give people the option to say, hey, you know what? I love what you're doing. And I want to show you that I love what you're doing in a way beyond just, you know, liking your videos. And it's a really tangible way. I think that's a very cool platform. If I were doing YouTube covers, For sure, that's something that I would be doing because I think that that's a great way to monetize even before you're necessarily able to get some sponsorships, which is the other thing that YouTube stars, quote unquote, with hundreds of thousands of followers are able to do is make some some good money off of sponsorships from companies. But that's out of reach of of a lot of people at this stage of the game.
0: So if you do this patron thing, is that something where if they support you, they get something like they get a phone call or a dinner date or something? Because like some of these other GoFundMe and Kickstarter, you offer all these incentives. Is it the same thing or is it just like, you know, you just you just support the artist?
1: Yeah, yeah, there are incentives and I'm not super familiar with it, but I see that he has incentives for $1 video, $3 video, $4, 5 10 20 up to, a oh wow, he keeps going up to $300 a video. I don't know if anyone has that. You get it featured at the end of his video. Well, I guess that's what it costs to sponsor a video.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Bit about YouTube. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, things to do on social media, things we should be doing on social media. Now we've got Facebook native videos as well. So do you I'm curious myself because I started just taking all the videos that I put on YouTube and I also put them on Facebook. Is that the common practice now that everybody should – whenever you put up a video to YouTube, you should also put it native on Facebook or what do you think about
1: that? Well, I think that there's a ton of value in uploading natively to every platform because now that Facebook has started the charge in using their algorithm and choosing what's get what gets viewed, who knows which platforms are going to follow and which ones are not. So I think that, yeah, for sure upload natively. Now the thing about it is, and actually it's interesting because this came up in my conversation with Landon Austin too, what he does for Facebook, because he's a quote YouTube star and YouTube is his platform and he wants more subscribers and more exposure on YouTube. He actually just posts a, a teaser clip on Facebook, but it is a video. He uploads a video natively. So it, it, gets treated by Facebook like a video, but the main thing is that it's linking to the full YouTube thing. So the people still go to the YouTube channel, he gets the views on the YouTube channel, he gets the subscribers there. So if you want to be building YouTube as your platform, but you want to use Facebook to drive traffic to it, I think that's probably the best way to do it.
0: That makes sense. What do you see people doing wrong the most, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube?
1: There's so much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that the best overall thing that people could change about what they're doing on every social media platform is just to be interesting and when you have something to put out like a new youtube video don't say check out my new youtube video and (laughs) don't say check out my new cover and don't you know could you get any more boring about the way that you're putting out there, regardless of how many exclamation marks you have there? (laughs) Um, There's got to be a better way to do it. So, I mean, I think that 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 just like gets at me, honestly, every time that I see somebody posting, trying to get traction for something that that they've created, they've put effort into, but it looks like they put no effort into this very last step, which is actually pretty important, getting people to actually view it. So I think if people could just be more creative with the ways that they create hype around what it is that they're doing, they would see so much better results. So that
0: leads naturally to another question, which is like, should you be doing more content or less content, but making it high quality and more focused on promoting that content?
1: That's tough. It all depends on, you know, who you are and where it is that you're driving at. You know, this is an example of a musician per se, but I don't know if you've heard of Zach King. He was a YouTube sensation and now he's mainly on Instagram. He has something like six or seven million followers on Instagram. And and I know him and I've done some music for his videos. And he's out here in LA as well. And he has this perfect format for Instagram, which is interesting. It's it's an interesting concept to me to find that perfect thing that works for your platform. And a lot of people found it with YouTube through covers. And because people end up searching for covers, they found that perfect thing. Well, his is he does these cool, if you've ever seen them, I think probably a lot of your listeners will have, because once you get up to six or 7 million followers, you end up with a, a lot of people having seen your stuff. He does these really cool effect driven things where it's like a car will be driving past and he'll like, it looks like he runs and jumps into the side of the car, but then like the frames are spliced together. So all of a sudden he's inside the car. It's the the funniest little things. And they're usually not even like that funny. And I know that it takes like some effort for him to put them together for sure. But they're also like, you know, 10 seconds long, like they're super short, but it's that perfect combination of something that matches the attention span of what that platform is, which is that 15 seconds. So I think strategizing about that is super important. I think I got off topic from your question, but strategizing about like, what is it that I can do that's going to match this platform and maybe take a look at what you do and then ask what platform is really gonna be able to portray this the best. And for him, Instagram was the perfect thing because it provides those videos that are the exact length to get through just that much. But if you're doing covers... You know, then YouTube is obviously the best thing. So it, it all depends. And as far as like the amount of time that you put and the amount of effort that you put into it, quantity over quality, I go back and forth on this a lot because I put out a lot of quantity and I've seen a lot of good results from putting out a lot of quantity and not worrying too much. And I think that social media platforms are moving towards rewarding people who are willing to do that. I don't know if you're at all familiar with Periscope. Yeah. Yeah. I've started using Periscope. And the thing about it is it's, it's live streaming video, live streaming from your mobile device. And it's a lot of fun. And the most important thing is that you kind of interact with people on it. But the other most important thing is that you can't really be too much of a control freak on it. And you can't sure. be, your expectations as far as quality can't be through the roof. So if I'm like, hey, I'm gonna do a periscope of me playing this cover. I've got to understand that as much as I might practice it, and you know, might work it up to speed. It's not a YouTube video and it's not a recording that I might go and fix some things on. And it's, it's a live performance, which is perfect. It's a perfect platform for musicians who are used to performing live, but for other people, it might not be Mm -hmm. in the, and the other thing about it is that I'm willing to put stuff up on Periscope that I would never put up elsewhere just because it's that kind of a platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It doesn't have to be perfect to be on Periscope.
0: That's great. That's great. So obviously you do a lot of stuff in this entrepreneurial mindset, I mean, because you have a podcast and the different offerings at modernmusician.co, where you're teaching other musicians essentially to do a better job building their audience and succeeding in their music careers. But I also know you created a really cool training product that teaches piano players how to be better sight readers. And not just teaching somebody that doesn't know how to read music, but teaching somebody to read faster and to read better on first sight, which I think is an awesome idea. Like, I mean, that's so great. What are the other things that you actually do as a musician? I mean, are you a performer, composer, producer?
1: I do a lot of composition, and I moved out to Los Angeles originally to pursue composition for media. And that's a lot of the kind of music that really gets me going and that really excites me is music for media. So I write a lot of film score-esque stuff, Uh, a lot of like epic orchestral stuff as well as more intimate, but usually traditional orchestral instruments. And I'll throw in some other stuff for fun there too, the solid grounding a lot of times in the orchestra. That's a lot of what I do as far as music these days. I don't really do that much gigging. I think if I did... I would do those house concerts. And I'm certainly throwing that around in my mind because honestly, it just sounds like a lot of fun to me. But I don't do a lot of that right now. At this point, if I'm writing music, most of it is going to be for some short film or TV show or something like that. I mean, that's a
0: hustle, though, to try to get people to hire you or pay you for music that's going to be synced with a film or a commercial or even an advertisement or whatever it might be, an online video, you must have to spend a lot of time just hustling to try to get those gigs. Do you spend a lot of time hustling for those gigs? Or you must have at one time, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing about it. And that's what's rough and frustrating about Los Angeles as well as the music industry as a whole, and any entertainment industry really, is that It's a hustle all the time and also it's a matter of understanding what your expectations need to be in order to continue to hustle in the long game and have that long run, that end game in mind while simultaneously understanding that it's probably going to take a lot more time than you really want it to take. And I think that I do spend a lot of time doing that. And I used to spend more time doing that before I started the podcast and before I started getting really passionate about helping musicians, you know, monetize what they do as musicians and and make a living out of it. But I still do that. And what I found is that I've only been out here for a couple of years, but at first it seems like nothing's coming through and that's kind of the nature of what it is. And and you're connecting with all these people. You get super excited every time you meet with some high powered guy and they say that they'll call you and then they don't. And, you know, it's like this roller coaster ride, really. And the whole game is understanding that stuff will come through for you as long as you have quality to offer, right? Stuff will come through for you, but it'll never come through as fast as you want. You got to work so hard But work so hard with consistency and with longevity in mind versus just working hard and getting burnt out when you don't see results immediately. Because nowadays I get phone calls from Hustle from two years ago and I could at the time feel like, well, nothing came of that, but that doesn't mean that nothing will come of that. And so that's why I think that the snowball effect is so important to any musician who's trying to get anywhere because the stuff does build up over time and a certain number of connections that you make, you know, networking, whatever it is that we're doing, schmoozing people, a certain number of those won't turn into anything, but a certain number of them will. But pretty much all of them, whether they turn into something or don't, will not immediately. You know what I mean? Like if it does turn into something, it's going to be six months to two years to five years down the road. Right. And you just got to keep hustling in the meantime.
0: That's good. That actually kind of brings me into this idea about a sustainable career and a sustainable you know, lifestyle for a musician. Because from what you said, it kind of seems like, well, we do have to embrace different revenue streams or different activities, or many of us do, right? And some of those are going to be more short-term payoffs, and some of them are going to be more of a long game. So, for example, maybe, you know, somebody who can work corporate gigs or teach lessons, you know, those could be like a short-term thing that you could do in the music business while you're working a larger dream of doing bigger tours or, you know, getting licensing deals or, or whatever. So, what is your, like, weekly schedule like and and what would you recommend for people if they were going to just try to make you know make their career have more clarity and start making money more money because i think a lot of it just has to do with compartmentalizing your time setting your goals and kind of like planning the work working the plan right i mean do you have anything you would offer on that topic for like a day in the life or a day in the week and and a way to make that more more clear for for a lot of freelance musicians
1: yeah totally the thing that i've realized is that I need time in the morning to get my priorities straight because as we work and as we hustle like we do, we realize that we have a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that we could be spending our time on, and some of them are going to happen and some of them are not. And if we don't actively choose which one's happening, which ones don't, then the most important ones could end up falling by the wayside. So one of the biggest things that I've recently started doing is trying to make sure that my mornings are set up in a way that allows my mind to process what's going on, what's most important to me for that day. Because I could, you know, like I talk about filling up my buffer and retweeting people and interacting on social media and all this stuff. That's all really busy work. And I enjoy it and I like doing it. But a lot of times that could be getting in the way of the major thing that I'm trying to accomplish. Right. And so I think what's been really valuable to me is a couple of things. I don't know if you've read the book The Artist's Way. I actually haven't. I've
0: heard about <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs> but I subscribe to I subscribe to the concepts even though I haven't read them. No, but um I think the author in that book talks about journaling in the morning and having that be part of your process because it kind of just it allows you to process in a different way. And I know different people process information in different ways. But one of the ways that I do the best is when I write it down. And so I've started just in the last month or so trying to, there's a website called 750 words.com. And it's based off of this concept that was put forth in that book, apparently about that artists should try this idea of just journaling whatever's on their mind first thing in the morning for 750 words. I think that she put it down as like three pages or whatever. And then this website said, well, it's about 750 words. So basically like there's a bunch of cool things on the website for keeping you motivated to do it, like check marks on the day so that you don't want blank spaces on the line and stuff like that. But that's been super useful to me because... By 750 words, you've had enough time. It takes me about like between 13 and 16 minutes. They time it down to the minute. So I get to see that to get through that much of whatever's on my mind. But at the end of that, it's actually been pretty cool for me to realize how much clarity I have as far as all right, like now I understand these are probably the three to five most important things for me to do today. And instead of now just sitting down and checking Facebook and filling up my buffer and liking photos on Instagram, I'm going to do those things first. And I think before when I just jumped right into working, I would tend to do the busy work rather than like what was most important to be done then.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And and I mean, I guess a variation on the same idea is... For me, it would just be sitting down I mean, clarifying like, okay, what are the long-term goals, mid-range goals, short-term goals? I find that to be helpful. I also find it to be helpful to look at like – and tell me if you disagree with any of this. But I mean for any musician to sort of identify, well, what are your revenue streams or what are the activities that generate revenue for you and write them all down? And then look at what I need to do in each of these areas to be more productive
1: long-term and short-term and
0: mid-range. Do
1: you agree with that? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we do need to look at what our goals are. And I try to make sure that I try to re-articulate those pretty frequently so that I have them clear in my mind because some of them are monetary goals and some of them are different goals. And so if we can kind of set up our day based around what those goals are each time, That helps a lot. The other thing that I used to do is because I'm a big listener of podcasts, I'm a big listener of audiobooks. I used to get up in the morning and start listening like right away. And while I like made coffee and stuff like that, like that was like my morning ritual was to get up and immediately start consuming content. And just stopping and not doing that, like putting that off till later in the day has helped too. Just taking the time when I'm actually just making coffee in the morning or making breakfast or whatever it is and not even actively thinking about or writing down like, oh, I need to do these things today, but giving my mind some time to start working and start moving kind of has helped the most important things rise to the top. So that's the other thing. If your listeners have a tendency to be voracious consumers of content like I am, like I listen on two Times speed, all of my podcasts for everything that I do while I'm working out, while I'm on the toilet, while I'm (laughs) everywhere. Speed. How do you do that? Most podcast players allow you to do that. Yeah, you can. There's a button in there in the podcast player.
0: Amazing. I didn't even know. Awesome, man. Dude, you are like you're totally. Oh man. You know the best thing though. Hey,
1: here's a bad one too. That's been bad for me too. Probably because I think it makes me talk probably way too fast on my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the other thing that you can do, check this out. if you just search for h t m l five speed control Chrome, there's a plugin and you can have that same speed control on videos and that is a just a huge game changer for me because I'm always running across videos that I want to watch, but I'm like, I don't have ten minutes to listen to this or watch this or whatever. Wow, I speed it up and it's like little chipmunk voices, but you can totally understand them. amazing,
0: man. Man, this is so great. I appreciate it. I want to let everybody know you can go to modernmusician.co. And if you go to modernmusician.co forward slash Christian, <laughs> then uh, we're going to make sure that there's you can get uh, a hold of the, this, uh, this giveaway from Colin. A hundred things musicians should be doing on social media, and you can go deeper into what we talked about today. <laughs> and you can also, of course, get all that stuff at the show notes page at christianhouse.com. Colin, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to doing more kinds of collaboration in the future with you. Thanks for sharing everything that you shared today with Creative Strings Podcasting.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun.
0: i tell you that was going to be info packed hope you enjoyed this let me know what you think go to christianhouse.com to go to the show notes page and you can download some extra special stuff from colin again thanks to our sponsors yamaha yamaha strings yamaha everything forever yamaha and electric violin shop if you go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings you can even get a discount But I recommend you just go to their website and give them a call. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate your feedback of many kinds, of all kinds. And I will see you next month.